Hello, everybody. Welcome to the show today. Today on the podcast, we have my good friend Petra. Petra is originally from the United States and has moved to Spain. Um, it's been a f- several years ago now. We, we met, uh, I think, probably about four years ago it's been. I'll have to ask her to, to see. Um, but I'm super excited to have her on the show. She's got some great experiences, um, some things we haven't talked about uh, with any of, of the other people that have moved so far. So really excited to have her here today. So if you haven't yet, please subscribe to our channel. Um, that definitely helps. And, and then you can get all of the um episodes as soon as they're out every week i'm hoping in the future to move to to every two weeks so definitely subscribe follow us you can follow us on our social media channels as well i'm on instagram youtube facebook um all of those things so global citizen life or the global citizen life consultant it'll be one of those two on all of them the links are always in the show notes below so uh please join us and um without further ado i will have petra join us and tell her us about her wonderful adventure so far from the united states to spain Welcome, Petra. Thank you very much for for joining us today and sharing your journey um, from the United States to Spain with us and and the types of things you went through. So thank you very much for your time. Thanks for having me. So I know about your background because we've known each other for, for a while now, but for our listeners, can you share what happened and what brought you to Spain and kind of how you chose Spain or why and how long you've been there? Yeah, sure. Um, I was living in New York City. Well, basically, since I turned 18, I lived in New York City. Um, I was born and raised in Montana and wanted to get as far away from there as possible. So I did that. Um for you know probably the first 10 to 12 years I really was in love with the city and that kind of lifestyle and the craziness but at some point I started you know becoming a bit more stable and realizing maybe I want to buy property maybe I want to do something but you know looking at a one-bedroom apartment on my street in a good neighborhood and it was you know just south of a million dollars and you're like well (laughs) this is a bit ridiculous so I kind of never had this idea that I would buy in New York. I thought it was too crazy, but I was itching to do something. Mm-hmm. So I started looking at where else I might buy a vacation rental or a rental property or something I could rent out. And that was kind of how it all started. And I had been to Spain a couple of times. I really loved it, but it wasn't the first place I thought of. Um, I first immediately thought of places in the US like ski resorts or you know, beach towns or something. But eventually started just like got this idea to look at Barcelona because I had liked it so much as a tourist. I thought this is a place I would like to go, but I could also rent it out. It would be something that would make sense. So I started looking in a more serious way at what that would mean. Um, I found that you could get a mortgage as a foreigner in Spain. I found that it was relatively easy to get a non-lucrative visa, which means you can't work, but you can be there. 
And it seemed like actually a lot of the barriers to entry weren't problems. Um, shortly after, because this was 2017 when I started looking at this apartment, while well, Trump would get elected. <laughs> and suddenly the thinking was more not just about this one you know, singular idea of like an apartment, but it's, maybe it's a place I want to be more. Mm-hmm. Maybe I don't need, maybe it's not a part-time rental, vacation rental kind of thing, but it's something that I would consider doing full-time. So at this point, it started to become, that started to become the goal, you know, and, and I started taking kind of Spanish lessons and I was going to Spain probably once every month at that point, just to try to acclimate, try to meet people, try to not be going in cold, you know, the day of moving, but I basically put a deposit down an apartment. And when the apartment was supposed to be done was kind of, as I set my goal for that to be my moving date. So that's how, that's how it all started. Okay. So, so then that, that, I guess from New York to Barcelona, I'm not sure that kind of flight time, but that's, that's still a lot of kind of back and forth travel that you were doing prior to, to coming, but that's, that's good. I mean, completely opposite of me. Um, I was there for a week holiday and I think on about day three, I decided this cause this is a really good home base. I could, I could do that. And I had a few other trips planned and, and back to Canada. And I think, I think I went from Canada. I think I had a trip to either Costa Rica or the United States booked already. And then when I got back to Canada, the next day I was on a flight and been like, Nope, Barcelona's home base now. And I just, I went in completely, pretty much completely cold other than the five or seven days that I was there prior to. So it was, it was pretty much kind of sink or swim for me. Yeah. It's amazing. A lot of people, Barcelona has that effect on them. Mm -hmm. You Mm -hmm. hear that a lot. And it's, it's good though, but because Barcelona too is very, very international. It's, it's an easy place, I think, to, to move to, to meet people, um, there's so much going on, so many activities, so many things to do, um, so many expats from all over the world that it, it is a very easy place. It's not the cheapest place in Spain by any means, yeah. um, but I guess that's, that's kind of part of it. The, everybody goes there, which makes the prices go up, but people go there because everybody goes there. So, right. so right. It, it goes hand in hand. So, so when you decided to move, so you were taking some Spanish lessons, so you had some knowledge of Spanish prior to moving to Spain. And was it the same? Because there is a slight difference between Spanish in Spain and say Spanish from Central and South America. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I uh, actually <laughs> taken four years of Spanish in high school and later would date a Mexican for four or five years. And I never spoke to him in Spanish. You know, it was too... I, honestly, I, I think the truth is I didn't actually know anything. I, I knew like a few vocab words, but we learned very little. And furthermore, growing up in Montana, where there are no Hispanic people, mm-hmm. whatever Spanish you were learning in school was very limited. So it was probably, to your point, yes, the more Latin American Mexican style Spanish. But even to that end, like the actual practice of it was so with nothing. So it was, you know, reciting colors and numbers and things like that. So I, I actually, but it helped me think I knew Spanish, <laughs> which helped me think I could, I could live here. Right. You know? mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it's a bit of a confidence thing because I, yeah, um, I do some tutoring of English and, and people, when they think they're bad 
you know, it's, it's just that confidence. We call it kind of a, a competence, competence loop where the more confident you are, even if we're, we're not good at it, if we're confident, we're willing to practice it more, to yeah. use more, to speak more, yeah. which then builds that, that practice and, and gets us better when we're not confident, even if we are good, then we tend to not speak much. So we're not getting any better and we're not building up that confidence. So it's, yeah. it's good to have that, even if it's in hindsight, maybe a little bit of artificial confidence, but still it helps <laughs> if that confidence helps. Yeah. The, and that was, it was not nothing. Cause I think if I was like, oh, I'm going to move to France and to have to pick up as someone over 30 and learn French in a, a very difficult language to pronounce, you know, it was, mm-hmm. that would have been different. So I think it, it helped me think enough to, to give me enough confidence as you're saying to dive in and also I think the other thing that's nice about Barcelona and Spain is people are really not mean to you about the language (laughs) they're not hard on you you know like some countries people are very unforgiving so even though I would come in and say speak to me in Spanish constantly to people they I'm sure could understand half of what I was saying but they never made you feel bad about it and Mm -hmm. I think that speaks to why a lot of people want to live in Spain why people like the Spanish culture the Spanish people in general is that they never make you feel like you don't belong in a place because you don't speak the language or because you're learning it's, you know, and I think that's a, it says a lot for the mentality here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's been, it's been great too. I know a few times, like I would go into a shop and, and I'd rehearse what I'm saying, going to say over <laughs> and over again. And, and I get there. And then sometimes I don't say it cause I get all nervous, but other times I do. And maybe I would say it in the wrong order, you know, the, the right words, wrong yeah. order. And, and they would just politely correct me and I would apologize. And they were always just so nice. Like, no, 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 it's, it's okay. In Spanish. They're yeah. always like, Oh, it's okay. No worries. Or yeah. even a few times I would go in and speak Spanish. Um, my, and my Spanish is very limited just so the listeners know, I mean, very limited. Um, and then they would respond to me in English. And so I would think, okay, are they wanting to practice my practice their English or is my Spanish so bad that there's their way of just saying, just talk to us in English. It's better that way. <laughs> I think they want to, I think they want to practice too. A lot of people do anyway. Mm-hmm. And, and so when you, you moved there, um, you moved with your dog. And yes. so how, how did that process go? Cause I haven't spoke with anybody who was moved, um, with their dog. So tell us yeah. about that. I had this dog named Gibson who was very, very naughty. <laughs> and he was a Shiba Inu. He was very handsome, but very naughty. And um, I didn't, I didn't ever imagine moving without him. It was never a thing I would have even contemplated. I traveled a lot for work previously, and I always had a pet sitter come to my house and stay with him. But in this case, because he had some behavioral issues, I didn't even, I couldn't imagine giving him to someone. It didn't, it seemed like it would be, this is a bit of like the, the bad ex-boyfriend. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't, no one else, you know, would understand him. Uh, mm-hmm. It was a little bit of that. But what but initially I had thought, because I had previously flown with him stateside, and I didn't realize that there were different limitations because the flight, the planes are different sizes, the international planes. So there was a carrier size that he was small enough to go in, in a domestic flight and he would go under, you know, I'd pay a hundred dollars or whatever. He would go under the seat and I could fly with him. And I flew with him to Colorado. I think I flew with him maybe to Montana, but a couple of times I flew with him in the U S. Mm-hmm. So I thought flying on Delta, the same airline, I shouldn't have any issue traveling to Spain. And then about a month ahead of time, I go to like call them to pay for 
that extra hundred dollar add-on and they say well the size limit is this and i'm like well let me just check i'm pretty sure this is the same carrier size you know and i go check the carrier and it's not it's substantially smaller it's like something that only really like a chihuahua could fit in okay so i was like oh boy so now what do i do and i went into kind of panic mode um of how mm-hmm. am I going to get this dog to spin with me? He's an extremely anxious animal. Like if you put him under the flight, you'll probably have a heart attack. You know, like I, I couldn't imagine how I was going to fly with him. So I called Delta again and I was just like pleading with them about the size of the carrier and how could this be different? And, and at some point the lady kind of like unofficially says to me, you know, there's this, you know, if your animal was registered as a service and an emotional support animal, not a service animal, they're different. Um, then we could potentially let him fly with you. But I didn't tell you that. This is just like something I've heard. <laughs> you know, like kind of, <laughs> she kind of gives me this, this like tip. Mm-hmm. So I start looking into it and emotional support animals, which I think this has changed. Um, I think this has changed because people were really abusing it. They basically will let you take the dog on the plane um, in your lap. Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't even have to be in a carrier because you need this dog for psychological support right so basically this consists of you going to a doctor telling them that you're very depressed that you need emotional support and various other things and which point they give you the certificate for your dog does not have to be trained does not have to do anything that's how I got around it I think this has changed from what I've heard from people because people started mm-hmm. doing it all the time and it was getting problematic yeah um, I I believe it's it it has changed there there is still emotional support pets but the from my understanding the the process and and the eligibility and everything is substantial for um yeah. the pet to to be an, an emotional support pet because you're right people people every yeah. pet was becoming an emotional support pet yeah 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 and, and it was like you know you paid a hundred dollars and all of a sudden your dog could fly for free on any flight it was it was mm-hmm. convenient during that time but um that's how I got him on the plane um, as far as getting him into Spain, actually, it's funny because the customs in Spain is so different than the U.S. It's so, um, shall I say, lax. <laughs> they there was nobody even there when I got through the baggage claim with the dog. So mm-hmm. you had to. So I think the hardest part was getting through Delta because they want to check all your paperwork before they let you on the flight because they right. don't want you to get sent back. Right. And they, you know, you have to get this vet certificate issued within, I don't know, 10 days of your flight, but Mm -hmm. it has to be like an official certified document. So you have to take him to a vet, the vet has to do this thing, you have to send it off to a government agency, they have to overnight it back to you. It's kind of a lot of paperwork Mm -hmm. um, on the on that side. But then when you got when I got to Spain, I had to find someone to check his documents like no one was even there oh wow okay <laughs> I just walked I could have just walked through but I I didn't because I thought it might matter that he was registered um mm-hmm. I don't know that it would have now in hindsight but at the vote it, it was like you know funny because got my suitcases my sister was there with me helping got the dog and we just start to walk through and all of a sudden there's like no one accustomed so it's like we literally could have just walked through but we did call someone they checked his papers and then that was it and then from then on, you know, that was all, the only thing I really had to do. Oh, great. And now I know one thing um, that, as far as I know, that's different here um, that I don't think we have in Canada, unless it's maybe a newer thing in Canada, um, is the pet passport. 
Mm-hmm. And, and so that like in, in Canada, you know, we, we responsible owners make sure their, their pets are up to date on, on their vaccinations, but there is no, um, I mean, I could go to my vet if I was always going to the same one and probably getting a, a paper filled out or printed saying that he was up to date, but it's not like they have in, in Spain or in, in Europe, the pet passport that yeah. is needed to travel with your pet from country to country. Yeah. And and to that point, the pet passport, once I was here, I got that for him. But if I had had that, I wouldn't have had to do all of that other paperwork. Right. So once you have it, it's quite easy because it's got all the vaccines registered and like everything that needs to be official is considered official in that document. Mm -hmm. But when I didn't have it, I had to send off for all these other things. So I don't know if you can get it in the US without being in Europe. I had to get it at a vet here. You know, so I'm not sure if I, I, I could have... I think that is more of a, of a European thing um, where, where in North America, I mean, it's, it's just, it's different, you know, they want proof sometimes of all that, but you're right. It's, it's similar type of information, but I think it's, um, it's, it's just a different way of, of having it um, here in, in Europe, as opposed to North America. Yeah. It's a bit more streamlined. Mm -hmm. Oh, good. And now you, now you've got two dogs, so. Yes, actually, (laughs) that dog, that dog is no longer with us, but there's two new dogs. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. So that's, that's great. Um, So let's um, touch base on healthcare. As as far as I know, you you've had no, no problems, which is great. But how Mm -hmm. would you compare um, just kind of like the the regular kind of healthcare system in Spain compared to the United States? Well, it's funny because the United States is just so uh, people here don't understand how expensive it is. So mm-hmm. I think I think this was also a huge like motivator for me to move to a socialized country. Um, I was paying over six hundred dollars a month for a policy and that and, and what people don't understand is that there's a deductible. So like you have to pay that every month, but every time you walk into a clinic, you pay something okay. and how much you pay monthly dictates how much you pay when you go into the clinic. But Mm. the normal thing would be, I go to, let's say an annual gynecologist appointment and I'm going to pay $30 on top of the 600 I pay every month. And then I might have to do some lab work and that lab work will also have a deductible. So it's not just included. So maybe Mm. I have to pay another, I mean, it's not atypical to have a thousand dollar lab bill when you come out of a doctor's appointment and that the insurance that's after the insurance has covered something. So it's pretty terrible. Um, it basically really creates a mentality in the people that you don't go to the doctor unless you absolutely have to, mm-hmm. that people oftentimes act as those symptoms don't mean anything because they don't want to have to pay. Right. Well, <laughs> Even, or it's affordability too, right? Like it's, yeah. it's not like if it was just $30 or $50 to see the doctor, yeah. then that's fine. But if they don't have the insurance, then it's going to be substantially more exactly. and, and it's an affordability issue. Yeah, exactly. I, I think and that's the other issue. Like to your point, if you don't have the insurance, it would be 150 or $300 to see a doctor. Mm-hmm. So it, it absolutely creates a different mentality, which is something I've been adjusting to. But when I got here on my visa, I had to have a uh, private healthcare, mm-hmm. which I think they say about 20% of the population here has. It's not a very high percentage of Spanish people who use it. Mm-hmm. Um, I was under the impression when I moved here that I could only be a part of the private healthcare system, which, you know, 
by comparison is somewhere between, you know, 80 and 120 euros a month. So it's substantially less than unlike in the US, it covers everything. Like that's what you pay and that's everything. Mm -hmm. um, with some exceptions, like there's some dental exceptions, but I've actually right. never paid for anything from my private healthcare here outside of my monthly premium. Mm -hmm. um, that being said, uh, my first couple of years here, I was under the impression, false impression that I couldn't be a part of the public healthcare system. And I didn't discover that that was inaccurate until COVID came around. And you just, and I discovered that the private healthcare system actually didn't work for things like the vaccine, things like testing. Mm -hmm. And at that point I said to my immigration lawyers, well, I have to be a part of Cat Salute, the public healthcare system. Otherwise I can't have a vaccine. I can't be registered as having had COVID, like things that were very important for travel mostly. Mm -hmm. um, and they said, oh, you can be a part of both. <laughs> so I signed up immediately. Mm -hmm. And since then I've, so now I'm actually like dabbling in both worlds, you know, like mm -hmm. I have my cap, which is my healthcare center is five minutes from my house. I can walk to it, which has been nice. Um, anything basic I would do there first, you know, like any kind of, and, and this is free, like this, it's not free because your taxes pay for it, but it's not something you pay for. Right. right. And when I go, I, if I had a fever today, I would probably walk down to the cap and see what's happening. Uh, how long would I wait? Probably 15 minutes, you know, like max, or they tell me to come back later, mm -hmm. but it's not, um, the wait times are, haven't been bad with one exception. I had one time that there was a very bad wait time, but other than that, um, usually it's not too bad. I also, same deal with the private um, if I go to, sometimes there are things that you want to have done that the mm -hmm. public system doesn't cover, or you want to do some test that they don't deem necessary for public health. Like you want to do a more thorough exam mm -hmm. for something. So I, I've done that through private healthcare and it's been incredibly smooth. I think you'll find there's a lot less waste in the system. Like you don't have receptionists, you don't have all of these nurses, you have like one doctor who is doing everything you know, mm -hmm. which is one thing that's been different, but, you know, you walk in, like when I was with Sanitas, which was my first couple of years in Barcelona, I used Sanitas and the centers are all their own centers. You walk in, you register yourself, you know, they're, they're trying to eliminate it, manpower if it's not needed mm -hmm. to keep it, to keep costs down. And then, you know, you would go in and you would meet directly with the doctor and usually very quickly in five minutes, you would have whatever prescription you needed or whatever. Um, I found it to be very good. I had foot surgery my first year here that was you know like I didn't have to explain anything it was so weird I didn't have to fight for it it was just like oh <laughs> they're like okay you need it let's do it yeah which is very different the U.S. is always looking for an excuse not to give you care that you need right um so I I don't know I found that it's it's a bit of a mentality shift that like oh you need something just go do it because you have the care you're covered you know mm -hmm. it, but it has been good. Like I honestly, I think Spain's ranked very highly in healthcare systems worldwide. And I don't, I, I mean, aside from a few complaints, I've, I've been to the emergency room several times, mostly with other people. It's always moved extremely fast. Like you're not in there all night, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, things like that in the U S five, six, seven, eight hours later, you get out. Same in know. Canada every, you know, and Canada's Canada system is, is very similar to Spain where we don't pay if I have to go to the hospital or the doctor, but my tax dollars pay for it. And right. taxes are fairly high in Canada, 
But I'm also like you where I am part of the the system. I'm I'm in the public system with my residency. Um, And so for for COVID and things like that, vaccine and all of that, I've, I've used it for that. But I also have private insurance because when I had to apply for my residency, I had to have private insurance um, to go through that process. Cause generally you have to have that private insurance for a year, um, while you're going through your process. Cause if something happens, they want to make sure that you're covered, um, mm-hmm. in, until you become a resident. And I've just found even like an annual physical they do. And I use the private insurance for that just because I, I pay for it, but, um, they do way more stuff than I've ever had in an mm-hmm. annual physical in Canada. Like, they, they check my heart, like EKG readings, mm-hmm. they've done ultrasound to, to check, um, like my liver and my kidneys and things like that, which I, I mean, I'm sure in Canada, if I, I was having an issue, they, they would check, but it, it's an automatic, it's like part of the yeah. whole, the whole process. And I mean, I'm, I was at whenever each time I go, like I'm at the doctor's office for a, a couple of hours, like, because I'm getting so many different tests work, blood work, everything, mm-hmm. like all kinds of chest x-rays, making sure my lungs are great. Like, mm-hmm. and it's all included. And it's just like, oh yeah, it's the physical. Okay. Now you go to this room, do this, you do this, you do this. And there's, I don't know, like seven different rooms that I go to for all these different tests. And then about a week later I go back and then the doctor goes through everything mm-hmm. with me and and it is substantially more thorough than than the Canadian system for sure. Yeah, and efficient. I found mm-hmm. like like what you're describing is why would you like in the US you would have to come back for each of those seven things. You wouldn't do it in one day. Mm-hmm. They'd make you come back. Why? Because they'd build the insurance for it every time. Oh, right. So yeah. if the government's trying to keep the cost down because it's a cost that they're assuming in the tax bracket, right? Mm-hmm. And the tax um scheme well they want it to cost as little as possible right right so they want to do it all at once because that's that costs less for them right yeah and it and it, and it makes sense less for, for you exactly because i go once yeah. and i just go from this room on this floor to this room and it's all the same building but just different areas and yeah and it's thorough and and very efficient mm-hmm. yeah that, that's been my experience too i haven't uh, honestly, I don't have, I, I mean, I, I think the people who are from here complain about it because they haven't seen how bad it can be on the other side. Right. Right. <laughs> like and, anything. Yeah. And I, and I'm sure, you know, there, there are probably times with, with the public system that some waits are longer and, you know, sometimes people or, or things kind of fall through the cracks and that's, you know, yeah. I'm sure even in the private system that there's been some people who've had some bad experiences because not everything is always going to be efficient and and done well and right. Um, but overall, I I think that the the healthcare system in Spain um, is is fantastic. And and I'm generally, as I said, using private, but the the expense is is not very much. No, no, it's not. And you can and I got a I got a plan that covers me in the U.S. as well. Okay. Um, which has been great because I, you know, I, I travel to the U S for work often and then I'll go back. And if I need to do something, well, they won't, they reimburse me, you know, like 75% or something. Okay. So I pay something and then I send them the receipt and they, and they always have, and I haven't had any issues with that. So That's it's great. been, yeah. Yeah. Mine, mine covers me too. Cause I, I travel quite a bit and it covers me. Um, I think the, the clause within it though, is 
I have to be within Spain. I can't be outside of Spain for more than 90 days in one, one trip. So I'm like, well, to be back in Spain every, like, that's fine. It it works. And it's, it's just a, I guess it's just a little clause. So then some people can't say, well, I have health insurance in Spain, but I really live in Italy or France or, or somewhere else. Um, so yeah, my, my, um, healthcare guy told me that and I'm like, that's, that's fine. It's no big deal. So, um, so yeah, if I'm traveling and, and things like that, if something happens, then, then I'm still covered. So it's, it's really good and it's efficient. So I, I do like the healthcare system there. Yeah, absolutely. And so what about, um, some cultural differences have you found between the U S and Spain? Because I mean, there's a lot of differences in one aspect, but then as we kind of talked a little bit earlier with Barcelona, there's so many people from all over that it's such a melting Mm -hmm. pot, but what have you found to be some of the, the biggest differences that you've noticed or experienced? Sure. Um, I think, I think like to what you're saying, there's so many things too, when you step off the plane and you get into Spain that are so similar that it feels familiar enough that it doesn't feel like you're going to, I don't know, like somewhere in Southeast Asia or something that's perhaps much more different. Mm-hmm. There you see similar stores. And if it's not the store, you know, it's something that you recognize, you know, like there's a lot of things that seem pretty similar mm-hmm. uh, on the surface. But I think the biggest difference to me is cultural in terms of mentality. I think this can translate to a lot of things. Um, First of all, you know, keeping in mind that a lot of people here don't make the salaries you make in the U.S. And so the the emphasis on work is not there. Like, mm-hmm. it's not that people don't do their jobs well. I think there's lots of great professionals here who do a great job. But the emphasis on work being your sole purpose in life doesn't exist. That's right. not a priority. It's not something people understand. And in fact... I think it kind of helps keep you in check because, you know, I came here for a reason to leave something. And if the people were just exactly like where I came from, it wouldn't really be a change. Right. But they don't share your desire to work weekends for more money. It doesn't matter. Like people don't really want the money. They want their weekend off. You know, Mm -hmm. it's, um, they don't want to work holidays. That's not a thing. (laughs) And it's not to say people don't there are jobs like especially in the service industry that require that of people but it's not popular it's not it's not something people want it's something that's frowned upon um free time is kind of like the most important thing social life is the most important thing and then all the stuff about work is just something you do because you have to uh so that's been a big cultural difference I think it translates like directly when I'm working and it's like even when I'm working with people from here there's a different mentality about when our workday ends and how for me it's a project based it's like when the project's over we're done for Mm -hmm. them they're done at this hour and they don't want to be and they don't want to be answering the phone again after that um but I think that also trickles down to other things because I think maybe what I mentioned earlier in my in my um, document was just, I think people are in the US are really crazy. (laughs) And I actually kind of missed this a little bit because you feel like in Spain, I remember one night I went to karaoke and I went up with this girl I had just met and I was like, do you wanna sing this song with me? And I invited her up and we did. And I remember her saying to me that she found it so crazy that I would like wanna get up there and sing. She's like, I would never sing by myself, she said to me. 
And I was like, well, why wouldn't you sing by yourself? She's like, we're just not like that. We're not trying to be the star. Like we're not like her mm-hmm. friends and her, mm-hmm. you know? And I, and I thought, yeah, that's interesting. Cause in the U S we all think we're stars. Like we all right. think we're, we're the next big thing. We all have enormous egos, which we constantly battle with. <laughs> it's like this, it's like this thing that we're, we're bred as children to be like perfect capitalists and to think about constantly being better and to compete more and to want more and to try for, to be better. And there's good and bad in that. Right. You know, I think the, the good is like, I feel like I have a real leg up here. You know, like, I feel like I can do anything and I, I do, I have that mentality. Um mm-hmm. I don't see my background, my past, my finances as a roadblock. Whereas here, I think people, they don't think like that. They don't need to be the best. They don't need to be a, a rock star, a superstar, an actress. Like how many people in New York City are trying to be actors that are actually just waiters? You know, I mean, like these people have this dream that they won't let go of, even when it's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. That's, that's America to me, you know, and I think um, so, like I said, there's good and bad in that. But here people don't have that complex, that God complex that need to be the best. It's it, yeah, some people have it, but it's not as present. And so you don't have all this craziness. <laughs> you don't have all these people like Tiger King. <laughs> you don't have <laughs> Freeman. <laughs> these people don't exist in Spain and they never would. They never right. would. You know, it just wouldn't happen. <laughs> right. And it's it is it's. Um, you know, obviously there's, there is a level of materialistic lifestyle. Um, but I, I, I think that is a lot more coming from expats from other, other locations, mm-hmm. because, uh, in Spain, a lot of time, as you said, they, they value time, like mm-hmm. work is work. We have to work, we make money, but we want our like Sundays, everything is closed. Yeah. I mean, North America, I, when I was a kid, everything was closed on a Sunday, but yeah. now even. I think even in Canada, the banks are open for a few hours on a Sunday. Um, And Spain, it's things are closed. Like that's family time. That's break time. That's, you know, that's when you spend that time with your family and friends. It's not all about work. And even if a lot of them had the opportunity to to work and and make more money, um, even if it was, say, like double their pay, I I would probably bet a good 90% of them would still say no. They're like, "I'm, I'm not working. Like it's it's my day off. I'm no, I'm not working. I, this is what I make. I budget for that because then I enjoy my time off is is my time off. Yeah. And I think you're right about the materialism. I think that that's largely brought from outside. And just as you saw, like the prices in Barcelona is go up and up and up in apartment, apartment sales, you know, and it's like that came from outsiders that didn't come from locals. Right. Um, so I think I think you're right. I think a lot of the the services that exist, especially in Barcelona, because Barcelona you can find everything. Yes. Like you can find furniture, you can find anything. Um, I do think a lot of it's catering to outsiders. Uh, not to say that there aren't locals who have that level of taste or wanting to spend money. There are, of course, there's a lot of people who have money in this country, but not mm-hmm. the priorities are different. It's just very different. I think that's the that's the biggest. Um, shift and then you see it trickle down and things like a call with a customer service center I can't tell you how many times I've been on the phone with someone who has told me something bad about their own company (laughs) 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 and I'm like wait a minute you work for them how are you saying that Moby Star sucks and and, uh, (laughs) 
<laughs> they don't care. They don't care that they work for them. If they think it's wrong, they're going to tell you it's wrong, but they're not also not going to do anything about it. You know, it's and like in the U.S. we're taught that you your company is like your God, like you must be loyal to them. You must treat yeah. them with respect. If you're good to them, they're good to you. And I do think there is that is a, a bit of a double edged sword. But at the same time, in the U.S., people make more if they do better at work. Right. You're rewarded for doing more work. In Spain, you're not. So people are like, I'm not going to get paid more. So why would I put right? in more effort? Why right. would I put in my effort, heart, soul, work right. all these hours, everything, if I'm getting the same as the person next to me who's just right. doing the minimum? And and I understand that. That's it's logical. It's understandable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's logical. But you do, you will see that, you know, like it's something I've noticed that you, you see like customer service is very different. Yes. <laughs> it's very different. It's very different. <laughs> Um, especially coming directly from North America, it's very different. So I initially went from Canada to Costa Rica, where back then, I don't think they knew what the word customer service was. Like, right, it, right. it was the worst. Like, there just was no service. Like, literally, you could sit at a restaurant for four hours without a drink. And if you didn't ask them for one, they would like, you know, they'd come and ask you for the first one, you finish it, but you could be there for hours. And if you don't right. ask for another one, right. they, they won't bother you. And it, and it's, it's, it kind of works both ways because coming from Canada, I think, well, I'm here at the restaurant, the restaurant needs to make money. You should be continuously asking me when I'm even getting low on my drink or, or food or whatever else, because that's where we come from, where it's, you know, push more stuff to up their bill. So this person spends more money where when I was there and I would talk to them, they would, they just said, well, if you want something, you'll ask for it. Right. Which is right. So simple and and basic, which, you know, I, I kind of see both, both ways, but then now moving to Spain, I mean, there is more customer service than there was when I was living in Costa Rica and maybe it's gotten better there. Cause that was years ago now, but it's definitely not um, the standard of North America. But as you say, we're also not tipping. I mean, right. 10 is like an insult in North America, what 20, right. 30% now, where if you leave a few Euro on the table, they're happy with that because there's zero expectation of tip. They have their salary and wage right. where, in North America, like Canada, they do get a minimum wage plus tips, but I've heard yeah. that in some places in the United States, it's just tips that they don't even get a wage, which yeah. is yeah. crazy. When I was waiting tables in New York during college, that was certainly the case. I worked at one restaurant. Uh, I only made my tips. That's all I made. And I would walk away with that. And the other restaurant, I think they tried to be a little bit more above board. So I would make my tips plus maybe a hundred dollars a week in cash, but they would slip me an envelope every week. And it was like, because they were trying to give you that, whatever that minimum wage was, which was like $3 an hour. Mm-hmm. And in New York city, that's like it, not a livable wage at all. And so if you have a bad day or it's raining and no one comes out or like your table doesn't tip you because they're from Spain, <laughs> you're like screwed, you know? Right. I have no idea where we were chatting because my computer ran out of memory (laughs) space. Um, And so we've had to make some adjustments. Um, But you've uh, bought a house and um, have done some renovations. How has, how has that process worked? Is it similar to, to what you would experience in, in the U S or do you find it more challenging or how, how, how has that gone for you? 
Um, so I would say, because this is now my second house that I bought here and renovated, and I would say the first house was incredibly difficult um, <laughs> because you don't know anyone. And so, you know, like even the people you're going to ask, I, I think one of the biggest challenges in Spain is that people here are, it's Pueblo culture. So in general, people go off of recommendations by people they know much more than a review on Google, right? Like they're going to ask around. So if you know someone who did a renovation with someone, it doesn't even mean they did a good job, but you'll probably call the same person because you know that person. Right. If you don't know anybody, like when I moved to my house in Girona, I didn't know anybody. So you'd ask the neighbors, but they don't renovate their houses. Like it's not, it's not um, back to consumerism. It's not a very common thing for most of the population. You know, mm -hmm. they're going to, they're going to do the minimum possible and because it's a lot of time, energy, and money. And those are things that people don't want to spend on their house. A lot of people. Right. Um, so a lot of that first renovation of that first house was you would call someone, you would get quotes, you would then hire someone. There, there is a lot of, you know, trying to figure out who you can trust. There's like starting projects that they maybe don't finish the way you want them to finish. So the first house was difficult because you're, I was trying to do the bare minimum, but still kind of end up with the house I wanted. And whenever your budget's a question, you, you know, I think that was one of the things that you learn is like, obviously I think anyone who's renovated has learned that in any country that mm -hmm. you're going to go over budget. Um, but the good thing was I did through four or five contractors finally find a, a team I like. So when I moved here, I did meet with some local people to do the renovating in this house, but I ultimately went back to this guy I'd used before because there was a trust there. And then I know he's not the cheapest of everyone I've worked with, but he is the most reliable and trustworthy. And even just like things, you know, I've had people break things, um, not just like objects, but things within your house. Like I remember these guys in the first house tore a wall down and just like destroyed the wall in the room next to it, but had zero accountability for fixing it. You know, didn't want to do anything about that. Or people set, telling you they're going to do multiple layers on a, on a wall I was covering of paint and things. And like you looked at it later and it was clear they'd only done one coat. And I think the first thing is they always want you not to be home. You should always be home. Like, especially if there's a language barrier, because sometimes they say a thing so quickly that you don't maybe register exactly what that means, or that word doesn't mean the same thing in English if I translate it directly. So I think you always have to be home and you always have to know exactly what you're willing to compromise on, because a lot of people, I think this is the same everywhere. People are going to try to be lazy and do the least possible work. You know, they're going to try to talk you out of what you actually want <laughs> because it's, it's harder. So I, I don't think that's unique to Spain. I think what's unique to Spain is, um, no, this is probably not unique either. People are going to try to rip you off. You know, there's they don't separate labor from materials. They tell you one price for things, but they're also like, you know, making a lot of money on the materials, that kind mm -hmm. of thing. I think that's also probably pretty universal. But uh, I think the, you know, it, it taught me a lot of vocabulary. I didn't know, that's for sure. And I think that was a hard part about it because you don't know what any of these words mean. And these people, this is a world where you're not going to find a lot of English speakers. You know, you're not going to find a lot of people who can communicate to the same level in English, if at all. So you're going to kind of get thrown into this world of like figuring it out as you go, <laughs> both what you're trying to say, what they think you mean and, and where you end up, you know, but 
yeah, I think now, um, you know, I just put a pool in and that was nothing short of a disaster with this company. They, you know, like I, I was very specific about where the electricity and water lines to the house were. First thing they did was break them, you know, oh, gosh. and then, and then not want to have to fix it. So like they don't have a plumber. So I have to call someone and then to get people to do the right thing financially, like to pay for that is always a battle. Mm-hmm. So those kinds of things in the U.S., there's a bit more accountability because people want you to leave them a good review. They want you to come back because people don't really care here about you coming back. They don't have that same mentality of like doing the right thing in business. And so I found that the contractors I work with now all do. They all understand that I'm a return customer. I'm going to keep coming back. I have a lot of work to do on this house. Mm -hmm. But if you find people, a lot of people don't. And so they don't care if you ever call them again. They're thinking about the moment. They want to make right. money on you right now. And, and it, that's the hardest thing. So I think I think I would say if, if anyone was renovating here to get renovation recommendations from expats, from people who've had to do it, because I do think, especially like if you're coming from North America, there's a different level of expectation. Um, mm-hmm. Or like I have a friend who's Japanese, like I know her level of expectation is extremely high and it was very hard for her to find that here so I think it's like getting recommendations from people who've actually worked with them because even though every contract is going to have their weaknesses at least you'll know what they are right right (laughs) like oh this person I can trust to come or this person always shows up two hours late but they do a really good job I mean there's always going to be something Mm -hmm. but yeah yeah. and 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 some of the definitely I I think a, a lot of those problems definitely are universal but you're right since it's not as much of of a culture where, as you said, like a lot of people aren't doing, they're not renovating, they're not repainting, they're not redoing their house every three, five, seven, mm-hmm. 10 years. And so um, if somebody has a job, they're like, oh, it's like, it's a one-time thing because yeah. it's, it's not that they're, they're building that up and thinking, oh, well, maybe I'll come back in five years or in three years time. Now they're going to renovate a different part of their house or, or something yeah. like that. So yeah, that's the that's definitely the biggest difference. And I think that goes across the board, but definitely you notice it more in, in renovating because, mm-hmm. you know, in a store, there's some rules, there's some norms that the government, you know, like gives you a two year guarantee that something has to last. You know, there are things like that. Right. Once you let someone in your home and you're just working with freelance people, it's not the same. Like you don't have these same levels of protection or if you do, it's harder to navigate. Right. So the biggest thing is, a lot of people are not thinking about the future and they don't, mm-hmm. and they don't treat you with that in mind. So you just have to kind of know that. Right. Great. All right. One last question. Um, mm-hmm. If somebody was considering moving abroad, whether it was to Spain or some somewhere else in the world, what's one piece of advice that you would give them? Hmm. One piece of advice. Well, I think uh, if if you're coming from the U.S., <laughs> mm-hmm. I would say you should definitely get out. <laughs> if if and I can I can help else, them with that. I can help them with all that yeah. planning, you know, with, with the diversifying yeah. everything and making sure things are set up. So that's a good piece of advice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think mean, I think that's it. I I think there's uh, I mean depends on which country you're going to, of course, but. Mm-hmm. getting out of the U.S. And, and understanding that there is another world out there is something not a lot of Americans do, but I think should, 
should do. Right. Right. Excellent. Well, thank you very much for your time and sharing your, your experiences and your, your stories with uh, our listeners and, and hopefully it helps them uh, navigate their journey wherever it may be and, and however it may work for them. Awesome. Thank you.